Good morning. Hey, welcome to church this morning. We're glad you are here worshiping with us. Well, if you haven't noticed, Pastor Glenn has left on sabbatical and there's a new sheriff in town. There's going to be some changes around here. I'm kidding. There ain't going to be any changes. What are we talking about here? Although it is funny, on a Thursday night as Glenn was getting ready to leave on sabbatical, my wife and I and Glenn and Jannie went out to dinner, and Glenn said that at his community group, somebody said, Glenn, I feel like once you leave, it's all going to be squirt guns and ice cream around here. <laughs> and my response was, what kind of sicko Satanist doesn't like squirt guns and ice cream? Hello. Uh, we're going to have a good time uh, unpacking the gospel and, and God's word here. And so um, let's talk about road trips. How many people took a road trip this summer? Anybody take a road trip, some road trips along the way over the summer? How many people are road trip families? Get in the car, load them up, lock it on and go. I, we, I love road trips. There's nothing better than a road trip during the summer, right? Fast food, gas stops, uh, potty breaks, right? Cheap motels. Anybody in a motel you don't want to talk about ever again? Yeah, we've been there. We've been there. Um, I, it, but what's more important than the road trip itself is, is the, the, the path that we take to get there. How many people know about the invisible line in the back seat of the car? Anybody know about this? Between you and your sibling, there's an invisible line right here. Do not cross it. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? And then once you get the invisible line, at least if you're like me, you inch right up to the invisible line. And then you just stare at your sister. Mom, he's looking at me. Anybody ever had this? <laughs> Parents, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's because we didn't have iPads back then, okay? This is what happened. How many people knew? How many people remember when a seatbelt was more of a guideline than a rule? How many people know about that? When you could have the back of the station wagon, and then at my house we called it the very back of the station wagon, where you could crawl over the back seat and you could hang out in the back seat. There was a time, people, when you could climb into the very back seat of the station wagon, even if there was a motorcycle cop right behind you, you'd wave to him. Hi. They didn't care. They didn't care. That was true. Um, how many people remember this? Trying to get the semi trucks to blow their horns. You do this as you're driving along, right? Absolutely, with such victory when they finally blew their horn at you, right? How many people had a ruthless father that would not stop for bathroom breaks? How many people know what I'm talking about? You can hold it. How many people here could not hold it? I know what I'm talking about. I know what you're talking about, too. There's so many great stories that go along with that. I have a friend who told me this story. I, I, he told me it was true. I don't know if it was him or somebody else, but he told a story about um, a guy who used to keep a coffee can in the back, back of there. You know this story, huh? Coffee can in the back of the station wagon. And there were three brothers, and they would go on these long road trips, and whenever they had to go to the bathroom, they had to go in the coffee can in the back of the station wagon. So as anybody had to go to the bathroom, they'd be climbing to the back and they'd take care of business in the, the coffee can. But the problem with this story is eventually the coffee can gets full, right? And so the youngest of the three kids says, Dad, I got to go, I got to go. And he says, well, go back into the back, go into the coffee can. And he says, I can't, the coffee can is full. And dad looks around and he says, listen, man, we are in the middle of nowhere. There is no bathroom for miles, and I am making great time. We are not going to stop. I'll tell you what, just go into the back of the station wagon and pee out the back window. How many people know, how many people ever had a 70s station wagon with the electric back window? They went, you know what I'm talking about? 
Anyway, he sends this kid into the back of the station wagon. He lowers the window. And here's the problem with this story is nobody did the physics of this to begin with. So when you are traveling at 70 miles an hour down the freeway in a mildly aerodynamic van from the 1970s, wind rushes over the top of the station wagon and then directly down where it creates an impenetrable wall of wind. So Junior's in the back of the station wagon, he begins to pee, and it all starts shooting back into the car. And the boys in the backseat are like, ah, ah! Dad starts to feel moisture on the back of his neck. Mom turns around and screams, stop, stop! And the youngest kid is like, I can't! By the way, ladies, if you don't know this, like for us guys, if we got to go to the bathroom really bad and you start it, it's impossible to stop the stream. I don't know what to tell you. Anyway, the water comes pouring in and that was the last time dad used the coffee can. That's all I got to say about that right now. Um, So why, why am I talking about road trips? Because I want you to view this in light of what it is in Acts chapter 17. This is an epic road trip that Paul and Silas and young Timothy are on. They're on this massive road trip in the book of Acts. It's the second missionary journey of Paul. We left off in Philippi in chapter 16. By some accounts, Paul's road trips, his missionary journeys, were over 10,000 miles, all on foot. Paul walked 10,000 miles, okay? I want you to get that in your head a little bit. Can you imagine, though, a road trip where you don't know what you're going? You don't have no idea where, where you're going. You don't know when you will get there, and you have no idea when you would come back home. That's the road trip that they're on. They have no idea how long this thing is going to take, and every time they show up, they show up in a brand new city, a different city that looks different than the last city, and the people are a little bit different, and you got no idea where the Starbucks is. They're looking all over for a Starbucks. They have no idea what this city is going to be like. Every little, every, and every city was a little bit different. How many people here have ever lived in a city that was very different than Lodi? Raise your hand. Been in cities that you've lived in a place that's very, very different than Lodi. Absolutely. Anybody ever been to uh, Manhattan in New York City? It's completely different, right? It's just, it's a completely different feel, a different vibe. L.A., sprawling L.A. Anybody been to L.A. or lived down in L.A.? Absolutely. You know it's completely different. Chicago, Miami. Anybody lived in Miami or been to Miami? Miami is a completely different world than here. How about Galt? Anybody? Anybody lived in Galt? It's completely different, right? Every city's got a little different vibe and feel, and it's got its own attitudes. And that's what's true of the Bible, too. And so we're going to see in Paul's missionary journey here in the book of Acts that these different cities that Paul and his team visited were very different. They had different attitudes, and they had different responses to the gospel. And so we're going to look at a tale of three cities here today, and and we're going to talk about how they responded to the gospel. Now, when I say the gospel, if you haven't been around church for very long, I want you to understand what I mean when I say the gospel. The gospel, really, all it means is good news. That's all it means. It's good news. And, and uh, it's not even that religious a word when they said it back in the, in the days of, of the Bible. But the gospel is the good news of God, who is a creator God, who created the things around us and created you and I. It is the good news that he is present in our lives. He's not distant. He lives and breathes and, and operates right around us. And for those of us who are believers, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live amongst us and to die for us so that we might have eternal life. That's the gospel when I talk about the gospel. So I want you to understand that. And let's jump into it this morning. It's a tale of these three different cities. And let me start with this map here to show you these cities. 
Um, if we left off up in Philippi, at the very top of that map up there, and today we're going to see as Paul and his bunch travels to Thessalonica. Thessalonica is about 100 miles away from Philippi. Remember, 100 miles on foot. It says in the scriptures they traveled through some smaller cities, Amphipolis and Apollonia, um, and then they came to Thessalonica. A little bit later in the Bible, many of you know, there's a book called Thessalonians, and that book is a letter that Paul wrote to those believers in uh, Thessalonica, and it's sort of amazing given the way that Paul immediately goes to Thessalonica. So, things are going to turn difficult in Thessalonica. Ready? If you're with me, follow along. You can fill in the blanks, and you know I don't preach alone. you got to read along with me. So, in Thessalonica, they found that the Thessalonians were resistant to the word. They were resistant to the gospel. They were resistant to the word that Paul would bring there. So, listen to what it says here, starting in verse 2 and 3. As was Paul's, what? Custom. He did this everywhere he went. He went to the synagogue service, and for three Sabbaths in a row, he what? He used the scriptures to what? Reason with the people. What else did he do? He explained the prophecies, and what else? He proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. He said, this is, this Jesus I'm telling you about is the what? Messiah. So Paul does as usual. He shows up to town, he immediately finds the synagogue, and he goes to preach there. He did that for about three weeks, it says. And then I want you to circle in your outlines those words. Circle the word reasoned. He reasoned with them. Circle the word explained. He explained to them. And then circle the word proved. He proved that Jesus was the Messiah. He reasoned with them. He explained to them. He proved to them. This was an intellectual conversation. Uh, Almost a Q&A is kind of the way it was. It was an open discussion where he explained from their own scriptures and proved that Jesus was the Messiah that was in their scriptures and why he had to die. And some of the Jews believed that, and a lot of Greeks and prominent women believed too. And so after just three weeks of having these discussions, these intellectual discussions, Paul's got a following of people who are believers now. But it's not going to end there. Let's continue on in verse 5. It says this. But some of the Jews were what? Jealous. And so they gathered some, I love this, troublemakers, riffraff, from the marketplace to form a mob and start a riot. They attacked the home of Jason, searching for Paul and Silas so they could drag them out to the crowd. Not finding them there, they dragged out Jason and some of the other believers instead and took them before the city council. Paul and Silas have what? They've been causing trouble all over the world, they shouted. And now they are here disturbing our city too. And Jason has welcomed them into his home. They are all guilty of what? Treason against Caesar. For they profess allegiance to another king named Jesus. The people of the city, as well as the city council, were thrown into turmoil by these reports. So these Jews, who weren't responding to Paul's message, get jealous and get upset. And they started a riot. And so they go looking for Paul and Silas. But when they couldn't find them, they did the next thing, best thing, and they dragged Jason into the streets. Who's Jason? Has anybody ever heard of Jason in the Bible? Jason's like, there's, there's, I didn't know about Jason, right? We don't, we, when you, anybody, we got a Jason in here? Where's this a Jason? Where's, where's Jason? Jason's not here. 
We got some Jasons around here. Jason is in the Bible. He's basically this guy who hosted them. And basically, that would make you think twice about hosting a missionary, wouldn't it? Because they called Jason in. And he had to post money, right? Probably not for their own release. But Jason was probably posting money to promise that Paul and Silas, he would get them out of town. And so the Jews would have called these early Christians troublemakers. They gathered up some troublemakers to get rid of the other troublemakers, it says in this passage here. In, in, your, in your passage there, why don't you highlight, underline, circle this. Turn the rest of the world upside down. They turned the world upside down. The, Paul and Silas were troublemakers who everywhere they went, they were turning the world upside down. Now, I'm a believer that we need more troublemakers in church. Would you agree with that? Where are my troublemakers at? Troublemakers? Come on, but troublemakers are normally bold. Right there, that's what I'm talking about. I am. There we go. They raise them hand. I'll be your troublemaker, Steve. What does it mean to be a troublemaker? Well, a troublemaker confronts something else and causes. Causes some division, confronts things. So what does it mean to be a troublemaker, a Christian troublemaker? What kind of trouble am I after here? Troublemakers pick a fight. Troublemakers pick a fight. Where we see hate, hate, we bring love. Where we see sadness, we bring laughter. Where we see pain, we bring healing. Where we see deception, we will bring the truth. Where we see despair, we we step into it and we bring hope. Where we see darkness, we bring the light. That's the kind of troublemaker that we need here. Somebody who will turn the world upside down, but do it in such a way that it brings light to the gospel. And the Thessalonian response to the gospel was jealousy and anger and a resistance to the gospel. And so like so many times before, Paul and his team are run out of town and they're run off to this little hill town called Berea. Here's our map again. From Philippi to Thessalonica, it was about 100 miles by foot. From Thessalonica to Berea is about 50 miles by foot. Berea is a smaller town, kind of up in the hill country. And we're going to see that when they arrive in Berea, Berea is open to the word. They are open to the word in Berea. Check out what happens in Berea. Acts 17, starting in verse 10, it says, That very night, the believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. And when they arrived there, they went to the Jewish synagogue, where they always go. And the people of Berea were more what? They were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. And they, what else? They listened eagerly to Paul's message. They listened eagerly to the Paul's message. They did one more thing. They what? They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. As a result... Many Jews believed, as did many of the prominent Greek women and men. So Paul and Silas show up to this town, and this town is filled, it is very different than Thessalonica, it is filled with very open-minded people to the gospel. Not only are they open-minded to it, they are listening eagerly to the discussion. And not only are they listening eagerly, but they, then they go home and they search the scriptures themselves and, and, and look for this Messiah. Maybe this is the Messiah. And, and it says that many believe. Now, get this. This is the same word. Paul is doing the same thing he did in Thessalonica, but it's a very different response. This is a dream come true for an evangelist who walks into town and he says, man, we are not in Thessalonica anymore. Look at these people. They are eating this up. They are really excited about it. They are open to this idea, right? Everything is clicking. And it says many believe, not just the Jews, 
who had heard about the Messiah, but also these Greeks, even Greek women and prominent Greeks. These are like the movers and the shakers of Berea. They are becoming believers and forming this first church in Berea. And then the story continues in in verses 13 through 15, which is not in your notes, but I'm just going to sort of summarize because it's not the end of the story in Berea. In Berea, the troublemaking Jews from Thessalonica form a road trip, walked 50 miles. Can you imagine walking 50 miles to catch up with Paul and Silas and run them out of the next town? Because that's what they did. And, and it happened again and again in the scriptures. We've seen it before. They send Paul, they, they kind of recognize the mob is coming, and they send Paul out ahead to Athens, and they say, hey, wait there, Silas and Timothy will catch up with you. But the Berean people were completely open to the word. Like a good old-fashioned revival is happening in Berea. But the resistance from Thessalonica spilled over and ran Paul and company out of town. But before, not before many people had trusted the Lord as Savior and another church was born. Now, by now, Paul is headed to another town. He is headed down to Athens. You've probably heard of Athens. He's going down to Athens from Berea, again on foot, and he is going to find in Athens, that city is going to mock, be mocking the word. They're going to mock the word. They're going to mock the gospel. So in verses 16 through 18, it says this. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was what? He was deeply troubled. Deeply troubled by all of the what? The idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. And he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, and when he told them about who? Jesus and his what? Resurrection. They said, what's this babbler talking about? What is this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? What is going on with this guy? Others said he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. They basically say, get a load of this guy. What's the deal with this guy? What is going on with what he's saying? Who is this idiot? Now, you might not have heard of Thessalonica except for Thessalonians. You may not have heard of Berea. We actually have a a Sunday school class called the Bereans here, which is a great name. But you may not have heard of those places, but everybody, you all heard of Athens, right? You've all heard of that. No, none of you? Raise your hand if you've heard of Athens. Athens. You've heard of Athens, birthplace of the Olympics right? This is Athens. Um, Athens at one time was a great place, a cultural center, right? At this time, it was a little bit in decline, and they had had great universities and great buildings there from years past, but it was not the city it had once been. So when you think of ancient Greece, what do you think of? You think of Greek gods, Greek mythology, right? Zeus, Apollo, Aphrodite, Hermes, Hercules, uh, Perseus, Athena, These are all the Greek gods, right? And this city is covered with idols. It is covered with idols to these and to many other, right? And with all their cultural wisdom, they wanted to acknowledge every god there was, but they had missed the one true god. And so Paul's here starting to talk about it. And they mocked Paul for introducing this god. They called him a babbler and they mocked him. Another thing you might think about when you think of Athens or ancient Greece is these great philosophers, right? You've heard of Aristotle and Plato and Socrates, or as Bill and Ted called them, Socrates, right? 
Um, this was a society that liked to sit down and philosophize about the world. And most of their leisure time was spent debating these ideas. So when Paul arrived and began speaking about Jesus, they were like, bring it on. Let's talk. We love this stuff. Let's start talking about this guy and this God that you're talking about. In fact, they wanted to hear it so much that they had a meeting of the council in the Areopagus, right? And this is like their Supreme Court. It's sort of a gathering place where these teachings are being shared in a very prestigious place at this point. And this is what he shared. This is an important part of Acts chapter 17, even of the book of Acts, that I want to make sure you see well. He says this, For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription on it, To an what? To an unknown God. This God, whom you worship without knowing, is the one I'm telling you about. And he's going to launch into something that we call the Sermon at Mars Hill. And you will notice that in this sermon, Paul never mentions the scriptures, as he had in other places. In fact, it said, you know, he, got, he went to the synagogue and all these places, but in Athens, daily, he went to have these discussions with the people who didn't know the scriptures. And he wasn't talking to the Jews here. He knew he was talking to these Greeks. And there is no point in bringing up the scriptures to a bunch of people who don't know the scriptures. This is true for some of you that are trying to share your faith. If you start off with, well, the Bible says, well, the Bible says, well, the Bible says, you know what they're going to say? Who cares? Who cares? Who cares? He starts with something they do know. And he says, let me tell you about this unknown God. Let me tell you about it. And so we're going to read through this This sermon at Mars Hill, stick with me here because I really think it's worth reading through all the way through. No matter where you're at in your walk with God or maybe you're just checking him out here today. In Acts chapter 17 verse 24 it says this. He is the God who made the what? And what else? He says look around. This didn't happen by accident. This unknown God is the one who made the world and everything in it. And since he is Lord of both heaven and earth, He doesn't live in man-made temples, and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. Get this. He himself gives what? Life and what else? To what? He gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth, including this one. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries those dividing lines. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps what? Feel their way toward him. And what else? You've been searching. You know you've been searching. Look at all these idols. You're feeling your way toward him. He wants you to find him. Though he is what? He is not far away from any of us. For in him we live. And what else? And what else? This God is everywhere. He's all around us right now, this unknown God. And as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an what? Idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. He's literally saying this with idols all around him. See all these idols? That's not the God I'm talking about. He doesn't need an idol. He's not made from gold or silver or stone. He says, God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, even your ignorance about these things in earlier times. But now he commands, who? Everyone, where? To what? 
Repent of their sins and turn to him, for he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by what? There's Jesus. You see Jesus? He's been raised from the dead. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some what? They laughed in contempt. But others said, hey, we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them, but some joined him and became believers. Among them were Dionysus, a member of the council, convinced one guy on the council, a woman named Damaris, and some others with them. But get this, the response to Paul was mockery. The great thinkers mocked Paul and his new ideas. They laughed in contempt, and very few people believed. In Thessalonica, many people believed. They got some resistance and got run out of town. In Berea, where they were open to the word, many believed, but they were run out of town anyway by the Thessalonican troublemakers. But in Athens, Paul was mocked, and very few people believed. Which leads me to, so what, Steve, what do we do with that? How do we make sense of that? How do we bring it to today? Well, let me ask you this question. Which city do we live in? If you had to classify Lodi, or Galt, or North Stockton, wherever you live, what would you say about our city? Are we resistant? Are we merely resistant? Are we open? Are people open to the word? Or are people flat out mocking the gospel of Jesus Christ? What would you say about our city? What would you say about our state? What would you say about our country? Where are we? As we look at the people around us. But maybe more importantly is where's your heart? How about you? Where are you? Are you resistant to the gospel? Are you open? Has God been opening you up and and getting you ready to receive the gospel? Or is your heart like Athens and you are flat out rebellious to the gospel? Because this is what we see in in this story today. Ready? It's the same message It's the same messengers, and it's very different results in these three cities. Same message, same messengers, very different results in these three cities. And it reminds me of a parable that Jesus told in in Matthew. In chapter 13, he tells this parable about a farmer sowing seeds. It says this, listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds, and as he scattered them across his feet, this field, Some seeds fell on a what? Footpath. And the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on what? Shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because of the soil was shallow, but the plants soon what? They wilted under the hot sun. And since they didn't have deep roots, they they died. Other seeds fell where? Among the thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. And still other seeds fell on fertile soil. And they produced a crop that was 30, 60, even 100 times as much as had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. This is the same story. Same seeds. Same farmer. It's even the same field. It's just that 
We get these different results based on the different soils. And it all just depends on if you're ready to receive the gospel, ready to receive the seed. <laughs> What's the so what for us? Keep throwing out seed. Keep showing up to new places and talking about God and seeing what the response is, that the good news is always on our heart and that we are sharing it and we leave the results up to God because I can't control the soil. I can't control the the city that I walk into. The so what for us is really this. The heroes in this story are the Bereans. So I want you to be a Berean. Be a Berean. That's what you should be. That's the, that's, these are the people that are, that are really getting it. Whether you are receiving the gospel right now, or even if you are sharing the gospel with someone in your life that you care about, I want you to see these traits and mimic them. Ready? First of all, it's this. Keep an open mind. Keep an open mind. It says, the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. Some people think that keeping an open mind is a non-Christian idea, right? You Christians, you're so closed-minded. You you don't know anything. Listen, God gave you a mind, and he wants you to think and question and reason. And we saw Paul do this at Thessalonica, right? He started with intellectual conversation. Can I tell you something about God? God is not afraid of whatever question you bring to the table. God has never been afraid of a question. He's like, I don't know what I'm going to do with that. God has an answer for all of those things. He, intellectual inquiry never phases God. There are some people who will tell you or make you believe that you have to be simple-minded to believe in God. That is not true. That is not true. There are brilliant people. I'm not one of them. But there are brilliant people who have embraced this God of the Bible and Christianity. There are neurosurgeons and molecular biologists and people who know way more than I ever could who have said, I believe and I know that this is true. Let me ask you a question. Is it possible you don't have all the answers? Go ahead and nod. You can nod back. It's okay. You don't have all the answers. So be open-minded to what, what would come. The Athenians, who loved to talk about all the new ideas, they were actually the ones that were the most closed off. And these lowly hill people, the Bereans, were open-minded. Let's talk. Let's hear what you have to say. Listen, I don't know who I'm talking to here today, but if you have not decided to follow Jesus Christ and you are here today, I don't know, because there's a picnic, let me tell you something. If you aren't sure about God and you haven't decided about this faith thing yet, welcome to First Baptist Church. You are welcome here. Let me tell you something. We're a place where you can ask those questions, right? Uh, there's, right now we have an entire generation of people who have deconstructed their faith. I don't know if you've heard that term. They have deconstructed their faith. They've taken the faith that they were given as a child and those Bible stories and all the things they were taught and they're saying, I don't know if I believe it and they're tearing it down and, and all of that. Let me tell you something. If you are deconstructing your faith right now, welcome to First Baptist Church. You are welcome here to ask questions and to think about those things and, and, and all of that. But here's the thing I ask about if anybody is deconstructing their faith. Would you come at it with an open mind? Because you have to reconstruct your faith at some point. You have to build it back up into something you can believe. You can't just deconstruct it and then throw it on the floor like Legos because if you leave those Legos on the floor, somebody's going to step on them and you know what happens when you step on a Lego. Four-letter words abound. 
You have got to build up your faith back. You've got to rebuild it into something that makes sense. What you actually do believe. Because God is not afraid of your questions. Will you approach it with an open mind? Will you actually be open to the idea that these holy scriptures that we hold on to, these documents that are go back 2,000 years, in fact, they were talking about them in Paul's day, is it possible that those are actually inspired by God and that they are holy and that they tell the truth? Is it possible that this Jesus, this rabbi, this obscure rabbi from this weird little town who grew up as a carpenter, who taught these radical ideas, is it possible that he actually was God's son? And that the the cross that he died on and the, the resurrection actually happened and it paid the price for our sins. Is it possible that's actually true? Could you approach that with an open mind and listen to the evidence? Listen, if you're sharing your faith with somebody else too, you need to do that with an open mind. You need to actually listen to the questions they're asking and, and, and embrace those questions. Walk alongside them with those questions. Even if you don't have answers, would you walk along them with an open mind before you just jump to trying to refute it? Because God's not afraid of those questions. Here's the second thing. You've got to, at some point, listen to godly counsel. You've got to listen to godly counsel. It says, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. If you're going to have an open mind, you've got to listen to something, right? Bereans were all ears. They were listening. What are you going to listen to? Who are you going to listen to? Some of you right now, even as you're listening to me, you know what your disposition is. Some of you are closed off. You're like, that's all fine but I don't want to hear it right now, or I'm not ready, or whatever. You're not ready to hear it. And some of you are open right now. You're like, I, I'm really wrestling with this stuff, Steve, and I need to figure it out. Listen, who are you going to listen to with some godly counsel? Are you going to listen to Paul? Are you going to listen to me or, or to your friend who's been talking to you about spiritual things, has been talking to you about faith? Because God is, has you right here, right now, to hear this message. And everybody needs some godly counsel in their lives. The most important decision you will ever make is about the gospel. And lastly, I want you to see this because this is really important that we search the scriptures for yourself. Search the scriptures for yourself. Acts 17, 11 finishes with, they searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. Listen, the Bible has all the answers. It's right there. It's right in there. It's full of wisdom and history and poetry and Jesus' own words. But don't take my word for it. Don't take any Bible teacher's word for it. Look for yourself. I hope you have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you come to me. I will get you a Bible. I, you download one on your phone. You can take it with you everywhere you go. But some of you are still like, Steve, but I don't know where to find the answers to what I'm looking for. Okay, listen, when you have questions, I'm going to give you permission. Right now, I'm going to give you permission. I'm going to tell you that this happens, and even I do it. Google it. You can Google the Bible. Do you know this? You, you, can, you can go to Google, and you can say, I need to know where this is. Do you, you think, Steve, you don't have to Google things. Steve Googles stuff, Okay. Steve goes, what is that verse about? Is it in 1 Peter? Is it? Is it Steve Google stuff, okay? Because you know why I know why? My brain isn't smarter than a computer. I'm not faster than a search engine. I can find it on Google. Say, hey, Google, what are Bible verses about anxiety? Hey, Google, what does the Bible say about temptation? Hey, Google, who the heck is Jason? Right? <laughs> You'll find it in there. See, the gospel is right there. It's 
The gospel leaps off the pages of the Bible. And if you open, if you are open to the gospel and you're listening to God's people talking about God's things and you search the scriptures, I promise you the gospel will find you. The good news will find you. In fact, you can't get away from the gospel. You just can't get away from it. Paul says at Mars Hill that he is not far from any of us. This is way different than the Greek gods who lived up on Olympus that only came down to mess with the puny, pitiful humans. The good news is God is right here. He's all around us right now. Maybe the best illustration I can give you is that the good news, the gospel, is a little bit like a song. It's a song that surrounds us. You know, like a song you hear in the background at a restaurant, and you're trying to single it out, and you're like, I think I know that song. Is that the song that I know? And you start to recognize it. The gospel is like a song that is always playing all around us. It has a melody and a rhythm. It even has a vibe to it that you can feel. And people have heard this song for thousands of years. Across time and across continents. And people have heard this song and it just moves them. They want to hear it again. Now, there have always been people who deny the song. They, they say they can't hear the song. But that song just keeps playing all around Jesus came to help us live in tune with the song. The song is playing all around us all the time. It's playing everywhere. It's on repeat. And everyone, everywhere, eventually has this song pop up on their playlist. In fact, we're all playing the song. The question isn't, are you playing the song? The question is, are you in tune with the song? Like it says in Acts, he gives life and breath to everything. And he satisfies every need. It says, for in him we live and move and exist. So when I'm selfish or stingy or unkind, it's like I'm out of tune with this song that's playing. But when you see somebody acting generous and kind, somebody sacrificing for another, like they're playing in the right key they're just in tune with the song see there are some people who know all about the song and they they know how to play in key and they they know about pitch and key changes and tempo and harmony but for some of us it's just the pure enjoyment of the song around us you see Jesus wrote the song then Jesus played the song everywhere he went. Truth, love, grace, 
mercy, justice, compassion. That's the way Jesus lived. And I can hear that song that he was playing. live in tune with the song in tune with the creator of the universe the composer of the song in tune with Jesus may you realize that the gospel lives in you This gospel song is swirling all around us all the time. The truth of a creator, the truth of a God who is near, the truth of his son who gave himself and sacrificed himself for us. May we live in the present reality of that and may we be willing to scatter seeds and share the gospel with people who are resistant, people who are open, And even people who will mock us that the truth may land on some fertile soil and take root. Father God, as we leave here today, God, I pray that our hearts would be open. Open to lost people, God. Some here today who are just open to the truth of of your word, God. I pray that you would penetrate us with this gospel song and that we might live in tune with it as we go out into the world. That we might share the truth. That we might share the good news. That we might share the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray these things in his precious name. Amen.